Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. And uh, killing generals could be a habit of mine. (laughs) And that's right. We're doing the 1967 film, The Dirty Dozen. And we're doing it for the first time because we had no technical difficulties before this started. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, so... Basically, this this week we're doing the Dirty Dozen. It's my pick uh, since it's my birthday soon. And happy hey. birthday! So I actually wanted to do uh, an older war movie and something with Charles Bronson. The reason I kind of was leaning this way was because one of my favorite movies is The Great Escape, mm-hmm. and that's an awesome old movie. And I wanted to watch something very similar to it to find out what else was out there that meets those kind of expectations. It's really funny because I just looked up The Great Escape again, and Charles Bronson is in that one. That's right. I was right. picking a movie with Charles Bronson, and I could have just picked that because it is such a great movie. I but, don't think... If you are if you want to do a Charles Bronson movie, I think you pick the better one because he's kind of a wimp in The Great Escape. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now that I remember more clearly, he's the, yes. He's the minor who's afraid, who has claustrophobia. Yeah, and he, yeah. it was a fun character for him, I think. But this one is a lot more badass, so I'm glad I picked this. Okay, so the Dirty Dozen stars Lee Marvin as Major John Reisman as a disgraced U.S. Major who is tasked with taking twelve prisoners on death row, or you know, sentenced to years and years and years of hard labor and cobbling them together into a secret military unit that he can then drop into Germany to execute a bunch of high-ranking Nazi officers during a big party. So the movie is all about Lee Marvin, the major, trying to hammer these very big personalities into like a cohesive group that he can then use against the nazis so it's a story of war and redemption and brotherhood and yeah it's a really really good time yeah and this fits into what i've coined as the misfits on a mission subgenre uh which is a really fun and exciting subgenre of films where it's a bunch of these uh outlandish characters it's often on ensemble cast and whether it be them going and doing a heist movie or whether they're trying to win the league as this group of random people that should have no business in getting to like a sports final or something like that it kind of fits into that group of movies and this is almost a sports movie. Like the war, this is a bit of a spoiler, but not really. Like the war itself only kind of comes into play in the last 40 minutes of this two hour and 30 minute movie. Like actually, maybe this is a bit of a spoiler. Blake, you might have to edit this out. But like <laughs> the for me, the most engaging scene was when they play capture the flag against another military unit. Which is essentially like a big sports movie ending. I really liked that scene too where um, they basically have to prove themselves because they're going to get shut down by the legitimate side of uh, the war. You're getting too far into the spoiler territory here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are. So let's transition to characters and people you may know and, and try not to spoil this movie too much right now in the primer episode. No deal. 
So characters and people you may know, the thing with this movie is that it came out in 1967, and as part of a critique of the film at the time, a lot of the actors playing soldiers or soldier prisoners are actually a bit older than uh, what they typically would be if they were actually fighting in World War II, and so a lot of them were actually real World War II vets and lived pretty hard lives, and because of that, most of them were not actually around in the last 20 years, uh, with a couple of notable exceptions, actually, and we'll probably talk about one in particular and, and how you know, he crops up from time to time again and how, I don't know about you guys, but I was pretty surprised to actually see him in this movie. Let's give you, let's give the viewers at home a hint. Um, Think falling snow and you might know who we're talking about. I don't know what you mean. (laughs) Okay, I'll... That's a a real deep uh, riddle there. What? Okay, well, I'll save it for the next episode then. Bam! Um, Call to action. <laughs> nice. Uh, so our first character is Major John Reisman. He's the major charged with putting together this team of ragtag misfits and executing a highly dangerous suicide mission, essentially, behind enemy lines right before D-Day happens. And uh, execute is the operative word here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... He's an extremely charismatic character. He's somebody who is really exciting to follow throughout the movie. And he's played by Lee Marvin, who's a name that I actually hadn't heard of before this film and before watching this movie. Yeah, this was my first exposure to him as well. Yeah, same here. And on that note, like, you know, he's kind of maybe one of my favorite characters of the film, and he kind of holds everything together. And, and this is a really great performance of his. He's actually known for playing these kind of characters in other films and TV. And, and so that's why he kind of was typecast in that role. Because especially in the 50s and 60s, he was the tough guy or the anti-hero of a lot of TV shows and, and films. Um, such as some other films that you may have heard of because of other stars that they had in them. Like Paint Your Wagon with Clint Eastwood or The Professionals with Burt Lancaster. And he even actually won an Oscar for a Western comedy called Cat Baloo with Jane Fonda as well, who is a very important character in or a very important actress to Hollywood. Yeah. The other next main character is the general who's played by Ernest Borgnine. He's the one who kind of puts together this plan to get a bunch of highly... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Trained? To, he's trying to get like a task force together of cr- disposable criminals sure. who they can basically just, you know, force to go on this suicidal mission. I think he's the expendables, but somehow even more expendable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Extremely expendable and crazy, uh, destructive, and they're kind of just dangerous. Just yeah. dangerous, badass motherfuckers. He's trying to get a group of them. <laughs> To just drop in on Hitler. What's what's important to note is that this is essentially a suicide mission. Like, yeah, the whole deal is if you complete this mission and survive, you get your sentence pardoned or amended or whatever. But like the thought of actually getting them into a working unit is kind of a big deal. And the thought of them actually coming home is an even bigger deal. At one point when they're going over their plan, they get to the part when it comes to how they're going to escape, and they're like, yeah, and we'll just improvise from there. It's like they don't even really expect to get that far. Well, what's really interesting, too, in the opening part of the film is the colonel doesn't even originally 
decide to allow that as a deal like he's basically like we're just going to force these guys who are are condemned to death right. or condemned to hard labor to go and do the suicide mission and the major is like you know they're not going to go for this right like we have to give them something mm-hmm. um and especially in light of how the film opens with john uh having to be witness to a execution a military execution i think that has the not the effect that maybe the colonel was anticipating on him right and there's a great moment that comes out of that where they're executing a young soldier for murder and robbery or something and it's really brutal like it's very oppressive and like disquieting and like it's in a prison and like all the prisoners are like slamming cups against their cells and like there's a priest reading prayers but like at one point the priest very dismissively is like yeah he's fine like to the prisoner and then in the next scene when the major's being briefed he's the only one who actually remembers the soldier's name mm-hmm. like it's a very brutal experience but it instantly kind of frames the major as like maybe morally superior to the men around him if only by a little bit i really liked how that also introed the major to us so we see him watch the execution and then the first thing he's asked was how like how was the the execution and he's like it was very efficient like everything went well and then he's like no but what was the impact on you and then that's what like balanced him so he's very pragmatic and it shows that he has a human side mm-hmm. and especially reinforced by like the fact that like you said uh he's the only one who knew the prisoner's name yeah for sure and what i should actually say is as well and i think i just quick quickly mentioned this is a lot of these actors actually did serve in world war ii and are world war ii vets for the u.s um Lee Marvin actually saw combat in the Pacific as a sniper in World War II, which is pretty wild. And and he has some comments about this film that we'll, maybe we'll talk about in the spoiler territory and his yeah. thoughts on, on the accuracy of, of portraying war through this film. And that's not necessarily something that I would say is the focal point of this film either, which you mentioned earlier as well, Mike. But getting back to the character, Sir Ernest Borgnine plays the colonel. I guess modern, modern audiences are actually going to know him from as the voice of Mermaid Man from Spongebob. No um, way. Really? Oh my God. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> I thought his voice was kind of familiar, but that's, yeah. that is so funny. <laughs> <Evil>. <laughs> what a great old man. That's awesome. No, even in this movie, he's fantastic. Like he might actually have the best performance in the whole movie for me anyways. That's And that's fair. And with an ensemble, cast like this i'm gonna argue that i i personally had some other favorites but anyway so ernest ernest borgnine you may know from there we also covered him on the film gattaca which we did earlier this year mm-hmm. um jason and i did together he's also cabbie from escape from new york one of my personal favorite movies and he's also was a starring role in the poseidon adventure and i've only seen the remake of that but i'm really interested in watching the original of that sometime i would like to see the original too and yeah escape from new york that was awesome I yeah. just want to go home and watch SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Charles Bronson, the reason why we're here, partially, um, he plays one of the convicts. His story is actually really interesting, and and that's something that I'll say, and maybe we'll talk about in spoilers, is how some of the characters' um, crimes, when you get into the context of what happened and why they've been condemned or 
become, sentenced. Yeah, been sentenced. Their crimes might seem a little bit more, you know, validated when context comes into play, right? Yeah. And so it kind of makes us able to empathize with some of these characters a little bit more. And that's not saying that some of these characters are all redeemable. There's some very irredeemable characters of the 12. There's one in particular that we got to talk about at some point. Yeah. But yeah. For sure. And so Charles Bronson plays. What's Charles Bronson's name? Something Vladislav or something. Yeah, Vladislav. Vladislav. He's like um, a son of Polish coal miners or something. But his father spoke German. It's Joseph. And that's why that helps his character quite a bit later on. That's right. It's, right. Uh, yes. Joseph Vladislaw. I may not be saying that last name correctly, but it's something like that. Yes, and he's kind of the the quiet one of the group. Um, the hard faced, like no nonsense kind of part of the gang so he's charles bronson to put it bluntly yeah this is yeah, like yeah. Th- if if you picture charles bronson this is the character that you would picture him in for sure um what other films he's known for you've already mentioned the great escape jason um he's also known for the magnificent seven and once upon a time in the west so mm-hmm. uh, he was really important during the western era of films as well he's probably best known for the death proof series Yes, that's also a very important series. Death Wish, that's right, Death Wish. The next character is Franco, Victor Franco. He's the most unhinged character of everyone. Like He always is kind of like ready to lose it at any point in time, ready to disobey commands. Uh, Very, very interesting performance by John Cassavetes, a name that I had heard but never seen in film before. Mm. Um. And John Cassavetes is a really interesting person in Hollywood because he stars in a lot of films at this point in time that are very famous called like Rosemary's Baby and Love Streams. But he also becomes like a pretty prominent director and an indie director. And I think his films have maybe somewhat because of the indie nature of them become more faded uh, into history a little bit. But I, they're definitely films that I think we should be checking out on this podcast because I think they're the exact niche of, of underrated films that we've we're trying to find on this podcast i will say that he's another actor who this was my first experience with him and like watching him like freak out and foam at the mouth i was kind of like this guy's a good actor like i'd like to see him in other stuff yeah he was like an essential part of the 12 i think because uh he was like the balance to the other crazy character so yeah like kind of like he he's like a pure anarchist but he has like kind of his own rules like that kind of character whereas the other crazy character is like off the radar like he's he's extra crazy one thing i found interesting about franco is that he's essentially like like a mad dog but like he's sort of He's sort of the one who brings the group together, whether that's in terms of other characters joining forces to stop him or like advocating on the group's behalf when he's angry about something. Like he's almost kind of one of the most instrumental members of the group, like almost despite himself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
And you know what the other thing I'll say about his actor is like you said the foaming at the mouth kind of thing, but it was also in the eyes. Like I, his, mm. he had this crazy look in his eyes often <laughs> throughout the film, and it really, it really felt like he could be capable of anything at any time. Yeah, he's pure like chaotic neutral. Like yeah, I don't know. There's a just for context. Um, his offense was he's been sentenced to death because he killed a local for what amounted to $10 in pocket yeah. change. So, And in his first scene, he tries to attack the major. So that kind of tells you everything you need to know about this guy. Right. Think he's Sonny almost like a Joker-esque. Kind of, yeah. Yes. I was going to say like Sonny Corleone, but even more unhinged. Yeah, more <laughs> yeah. in like Godfather Part 2 than Godfather Part 1. Sure. The next character that I'm going to talk about is maybe one of my favorite characters of the film, uh, one of the 12, and his name is Robert T. Jefferson. Um, He's the black member of the group, uh, and because of this time period in America, he's often the one who's targeted by some of the more racist members of the group, and that's also the reason why he's in there, is he was essentially in there for murder, but it was practically self-defense because the guys were trying to lynch the guy. So like, you know, you can kind of, you feel for him as a character and he kind of grows to become like one of the quiet leaders of the group, which is really fascinated me. And I really loved his performance. And the actor who portrays him is Jim Brown, who is actually one of the greatest football players of all time. And more on that later because his football career is is very much tied to this film and his legacy but jim brown like absolute phenomena uh he also had films or starring roles in mars attacks the running man which is the adaptation from richard bachman stephen king which it's a terrible adaptation but it's a pretty fun movie with arnold schwarzenegger and any given sunday and on that note uh jim brown actually unfortunately passed away about two weeks ago Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. that um, is unfortunate. Also, he was um, good friends with Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad actually came to the set of The Dirty Dozen, and there's a photo, uh, there's like two or three photos of him on set, just because Jim Brown was such a cool guy and was friends with uh, Muhammad Ali. Wow. Yeah, so huh. slightly timely episode uh that this ended up being and you know a little bit of a tribute to jim brown on this one yeah yeah, yeah he crushed it in this movie yeah and of, it, what a life his character was like the silent enforcer or like loyal enforcer of the group which like i really liked like he was always like the one to knock everyone else into shape if they were acting out well, and he could also spot where, you know, the the bullshit was and be able yeah. to identify like, you know, like we maybe we actually have something here and like maybe this is where we can push the authority and and stuff like that. Like I, I really, really liked his performance, thought it was one of the highlights of the film. Yeah, we're not going to talk about all 12 of the Dirty Dozen here, but the last character that I do want to mention is well, actor that I want to mention is Donald Sutherland. Hey. Um, yeah, a Canadian icon, one of the most famous Canadian actors ever, playing Vernon Pinkley. He's kind of the dim-witted member of the group, although he he has a very, very comical scene later in the film, uh, oh, yeah. which is a highlight of the film for me. If you haven't seen or heard of Donald Sutherland before... How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have any favorites of, of his that you- 
like you've seen him in that you want to mention? I haven't seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but I want to. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's one we'll definitely be doing on this podcast at some point. Can um, I Can I just point out how surreal it is? Because, like, I've only ever... Like, I know Donald Sutherland as, you know, old man Donald Sutherland, right? Like, white mm-hmm. hair, big eyes, all that stuff. So, like... For the first like forty or fifty minutes of this movie, I kept looking at it. And I'm like, "Who is that guy? Like, he looks so familiar." You know who I thought it was for a sec? I was like, "Is that the cameraman from Groundhog Day?" <laughs> like, you know that guy? And then finally, at some point, it clicked. I'm like, "That's fucking Donald Sutherland." <laughs> like, so it's it's weird seeing. It's almost like seeing a picture of your grandpa as a really young man, just being like, "Oh, hey." Well, and talk about Young here too. Like this is his breakout role. Like this is this is what gets him mash later. Um, and it's it's that very highlight performance scene that I was talking about that we'll talk about in the spoiler episode. That you know he he absolutely crushes and and chews a couple of these scenes up. And the other reason why he's he's so famous is or or his spawn is famous is he's also Kiefer Sutherland's dad, who's That's somebody right. who you know our parents' generation really grew up with or alongside and was really famous and he's you know i guess i don't have to talk too much about keith or sutherland's performances but yeah that's a lot of a lot of canadian heritage right there that's right yeah and you've seen uh donald sutherland and things like the italian job he was a voice in lord of war uh there's the mechanic the hunger games which is a very famous movie. and who does he play in the hunger games President Snow. That was my <laughs> riddle earlier, you idiots. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I've ever watched any of the Hunger Games movies. I've read all oh, the books, really? but... He's great as that old man. Yeah, character. he is pretty good. So this film is directed by Robert Aldrich, who also directed Emperor of the North and actually The Longest Yard, the original Longest Yard that stars Burt Reynolds, not huh. the remake that stars Adam Sandler with Burt Reynolds. Um, <laughs> I've actually only seen the remake Longest Yard, which is actually a movie that I remember very fondly of, from my childhood. And I think that's a sports movie that I'd be really interested in doing on this and that's again one of those films that fit into my misfits on a mission kind of film yeah uh we don't really get to see all 12 of the characters in much detail we see probably about six of them Mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. like you actually know who they are and you know their names as you're watching you and they get, get character to know development them. yeah yeah like they couldn't do it all 12 which is completely fair but uh, the ones that we do get to see, they're pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I forgot to mention the last most important character of the film, and that's Maggot. Archer Maggot. Yeah. Yes. Who's the psychotic rapist murderer of the group uh, who's in for execution for raping and murdering a poor woman. He's basically an old-timey Reddit moderator. But oh. with the with the psychotic religious twist where he mm-hmm. thinks he's doing God's work directly as his tool of like death or like destruction against people who are sinning in sinning with women or w- women who are sinners. Yeah, it's, it's like a witch very hunting. it's very um like out of all the 12, he's easily the most deranged, which is kind of saying something. And he acts it well. Yeah. Who's the actor for him? 
That was Telly Savalas. Very, very bald actor. Um, <laughs> he was actually he was most famous for roles in the James Bond series. And if you know the oh, what's the movie? Um, if you know the Austin Powers series, and uh, what's what's the bald dude's name? Doctor Evil. Doctor Evil. So he like Doctor Evil is like the parody of Tony Savalas' character in the james bond series he's like one of james bond's most famous villains and i'm blanking on his name right now goldfinger no gold member i'm not a big james bond guy i don't know but yeah he definitely he looks like a james bond he just looks like a villain in general let's put it that way yeah sure he was a nice guy in real life but he looks very sinister do you remember in the Titanic episode where I said if you have a receding hairline, you have to play the villain? Well, if you're bald, you're really typecast <laughs> as the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true. Yeah. So who is this movie for, and does it hold up for a modern watch? I'm really interested to hear both of your thoughts on on that. I enjoyed this movie quite a lot. Um, I basically knew nothing about this movie going in except for the title and the fact that Charles Bronson was in it. Yeah. And I will say it held up pretty well, but it's a bit dated in parts. There's a couple filmmaking techniques that are a little... uh, They look a little slapdash by today's standards. Mm -hmm. I don't think that diminishes the movie's enjoyment for me, but there were a couple sequences where I was like, oh, really? But... No, I'd say it held up pretty well, despite being a little rough around the edges in parts. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, there's there's maybe the most minor of pacing issues, potentially. Like, I was never bored, and I was actually very drawn in very quickly to this film. Um, yeah. But this is a film that is two and a half hours long, that does plot along. There is three very distinct parts to the film, I think, and... If you're not prepared to kind of move through this adventure with these group, then then you might find yourself kind of wandering uh, in your thoughts at times. But like I said, I was personally very drawn into this film and very interested in how the major was going to get everybody in line and working as a team together and then them pulling off the mission at the end. I wasn't expecting the mission to kind of take such a backseat to the film as well. Like I, it really, like you said, Mike doesn't really start until like the last 40 minutes of the film or so. Yeah. Going back to my point, I will say that like, yeah, the movie is very clearly split into act one, act two, act three. And actually I found act three to be the weakest Like, the actual mission itself is kind of where the movie started. I don't want to say losing me, but that's when my mind started wandering a little bit. So Uh, I I won't debate, like, your interest, but I do want to talk about that further when we get into the deep dive. Because I do have some thoughts on that and how the buildup of the film worked in favor of the last 40 minutes. Okay, I will save that complaint for later. (laughs) Yeah. Then, uh, for me, I... I enjoyed the movie overall. I don't think it's it's as good as uh, The Great Escape. I think it's like close. It's in the same area. So it, for anybody who likes older war movies like The Great Escape, um, this definitely like will scratch that itch. And just like you guys, I was like drawn in fairly quick, and it kept me um, involved enough. It did have that little pacing issue where like 
I was like, when are things going to start happening? But you right. like, there was always little things happening, which maybe some could have been cut or some could have been like shot better to invoke the emotion that they were going for in a quicker amount of time. Um, I don't think this is like a direct, uh, like a modern audience couldn't just jump into it. You have to be a um, enjoyer of film. A film enjoyer. What I'll say, though, is that this film shares a lot of DNA with some really famous movies of the last 10, 15 years. And and yeah. like I said, I'm going to bring this back to the Misfits on a Mission tag that, you know, the Suicide Squad being the yes. most recent example of this and how much, like, the Suicide Squad borrows from a film like this. That and- was my biggest modern that would have been my biggest modern point of comparison as well how are you missing inglorious bastards well that's also the other that one i was yeah, gonna bring up that's, yeah. that's number two that's the big one the inglorious bastards especially the third act of this film you can really feel the direct comparison here and and how brutal it depicts some of the the war elements of the film and and how on un, how uncaring the group can somewhat be be it's not the right wording exactly that i'm looking for but how callous they can be yeah 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 i would say though that there's the the second scene of the uh the dirty dozen is like they actually replicated it in uh inglorious bastards and Mm -hmm. that's just the intro to all 12 of the inmates they didn't do it exactly in uh, *Inglorious Bastards*, but the, I'm pretty sure they used like the same or a very similar backdrop and the same like lineup of all all of the guys. Yeah, and when we get into the spoiler discussion, I I have a pretty interesting discussion about that and how this movie, how how we get from point A with the Dirty Dozen to point like C or D with *Inglorious Bastards* because they're very interesting timeline in which those movies are connected. Um, and mm-hmm. I'll talk about that later, but we'll come back to that because there is actually a pretty deep connection there. The other films that I would say immediately jumped to my mind when I was watching this were *Fury* with Brad Pitt the world war ii movie about them in a tank uh an yeah. army of the dead actually i i kind of thought of as well the the Zack snyder movie yeah the Zack snyder movie again like the misfits on a mission kind of uh idea and how it's this ragtag team that have been brought together to to do something blake you might be the only person in the world who's seen army for the dead no but... it was actually insanely popular when it came out oh really okay I've seen it. I'm just yeah. being a contrarian then. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, like I, I think it shares a lot of DNA with those kind of films. It's not like a direct war movie. If you're going to compare to a war movie, I would say slightly um, Full Metal Jacket in the sense that like there's the training first half and then the war second half. But And the crazy bald different. guy. What's that? And the crazy bald guy. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, that's the secret ingredient. <laughs> But though even those films, like there's a lot of nuance to uh, Full Metal Jacket that really differs in in what this film is portraying versus that film. Yeah, and this one, it, nothing's really very deep. There's a fair amount of cliches, but like it is a product of the times where it was kind of initiating some of these concepts and some of these cliches only became cliches much later. So yeah. some of it was like fairly original. It's not like a mind-blowing film or anything but it's It's very enjoyable throughout it's very effective at what it does yeah going going back to that word again callous callous is a really good word for just the overall vibe and attitude of the film right like it's not overly concerned with like character depth it's not 
overly concerned with like the real honest to god human cost of war it's just kind of it's violent and it's pretty straightforward in what it does yeah Yeah. so it's like a great if you're into like quentin tarantino films you're probably gonna enjoy this one a lot because quentin tarantino borrows a lot of why this film is such a good popcorn flick and and that's where we'll segue into when to watch um for me like this is such a good saturday night big budget movie watch to watch even with like a group of people probably like i I think i would have a lot of fun sitting around watching this with uh the boys kind of thing you know the boys as long as everybody was into movies like we are like i think it would be tough to get like kelvin into this Mm mm-hmm and, and that's just because of like really the first 10 minutes uh have like an old timey feel to it but like once once you really get into the dynamic of the group like uh, like i was like you know this movie just kind of like you know apart got you from in. a few yeah i was i was hooked at that point like once we got introduced to the group and and we saw how everybody worked with and against each other kind of thing i was yeah, i was fully yeah. on board at that point it just that that first 10 15 20 minutes like you know it feels like a film of a product of a prior time however this film becomes such an important legacy to this genre of films and and on a lot of filmmakers that more contemporary filmmakers of our time here's my recommendation watch it on a saturday night with your dad yeah this is a great dad movie yeah (laughs) father's day coming up too. yeah perfect timing (laughs) yeah and uh not that it's they they reference d-day in the movie but d-day is my birthday june 6th and this should be releasing probably two days before that i think or no two days after but uh so it's very timely around that this one comes out this week so it'll the deep dive will come out around your birthday ah okay perfect yeah where to watch so I actually watched this on YouTube. There's a free version of it on YouTube right now, and it's really good quality, actually. So I got to say, you know, if, if you can watch it free, why not? We don't condone piracy, but if it's already up, you may as well just give it a watch. Yeah, it depends on who put it up. Yeah. I mean, it's a 60 year old movie almost and everybody in this film is dead now so it's not like any of them are benefiting anymore from it. almost everybody but yeah, yeah yeah almost everybody donald sutherland but this is not donald sutherland's uh primary money maker anymore no <laughs> no he's got he's got lots of stuff to going on and i think that's it for the primer episode unless there's anything that you guys want to talk about uh spoiler free how do you like the movie poster yeah it's kind of an old-timey movie poster but it is kind of neat. Yeah. Let me pull it up because I need to take another look. I feel like Inglorious Bastards kind of replicated it somewhat as well. At least like part of it. But very, very like 1967 war movie. It's And like they had a pretty good tagline. Train them, excite them, arm them, then turn them loose on the Nazis. Yeah, that is kind of badass. I feel like yeah. just train them, excite them, arm them would have been more effective. You could have lost <laughs> yeah. that second sentence, but that's just the editor and me. That's 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 a '60s uh, type of dialogue, though. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think that's it for the episode. The one thing I do want to mention is next week we're actually going to be picking, making picks for the movie draft. We've got that coming up, which I'm really excited about. We're going to be doing that in July, so stick around for that in part two. Yeah, looking forward to doing our draft. Yep. 
It's all happening next week on Vintage Cinema Rewind. Wind, 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 wind. Rewind, we wind, we wind. <laughs> if that's going to be our catchphrase, we might need to workshop it. I don't, I don't think we're going to hit the right metrics with that. 